You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. I'm Kate Pierce, Multimedia Specialist with NYSAC. Today we're joined by Ryan Gregoire and Dave Lucas to talk about NYSAC's recently published 2022 legislative program. This document outlines the association's legislative and budget advocacy goals for the coming year, and it's built from a series of reform proposals developed by our membership of county delegates. We're going to get into some detail on the top priorities for counties in 2022. So thanks for joining us, Dave and Ryan. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us, Kate. So to start us off, um, can you give us an overview of this document and how the legislative team at NISAC has pulled it together? Yeah, that's a great question, Kate. Thanks for asking. You know, this document is really a living document. This is something that um, is constantly evolving depending on the priorities of the state legislature and the priorities of our governor. Of course, we have a new governor now, so we're eager to see what she prepares in her State of the State address and her 2023 state fiscal year executive budget proposal, which will be coming in January. Um, But really, this document begins towards uh, the middle of each calendar year. So in August of this year, we sent out a request for resolutions to our members, and our members provide us with resolutions, which are eventually adopted as part of our fall conference. And that is what formulates the base of our agenda for the upcoming year. So we take all of the new resolutions, plus our policy priorities that maybe weren't acted on in the past, maybe we tweak those and update them. And that formulates the advocacy agenda, the legislative program for the following year. What we do after the budget is released is we then update this document and provide additional context for our members to be able to react to whatever the governor may include in her budget. So this is a living document. It's both a legislative advocacy tool, but also a budget advocacy tool. So it serves a couple, uh, it serves a dual purpose really. And um, this is purely driven by the members and the board of directors here at NISAC they're the ones who set the content and then they charge the NISAC staff with developing our program and, and executing this in conjunction with them throughout the year. Great. And let's get into uh, some of the top county priorities that are in this document that sort of start off the document, the, the top agenda items for counties coming up in the legislative session. Um, can you tell us about AIM and why this is a crucial concern for counties? Yeah, um, and, and Kate, this is our one of our top priorities. You're absolutely correct. So the state has provided aid to municipalities for many decades through what's called the AIM program. Most of the aid goes to cities, but towns and villages also receive annual funding shares. However, in 2018, the state fiscal year 19 budget, so this was the budget that was enacted on April 1st of 18, cut the aim to local government assistance program by $59 million, and then backfilled this funding cut by diverting $59 million in county sales tax revenue to offset the state coffers. So this is a highly regressive tax policy that puts increased pressure on property taxes, and we are asking for this to be repealed. 
It's a $59 million clawback of county revenue. And this is a dangerous precedent that the state has um, enacted back in 2019. We're looking for an adjustment here. I don't know, Dave, if um, you want to talk about another diversion of local uh, county sales tax. There was another program that happened the year after. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Uh, I will talk a little bit about that. They, after the first sales tax diversion in the next budget year, the state uh, did another sales tax diversion. This is right at the beginning of COVID in March of 2020 when this budget was being developed and the state was looking at a huge budget shortfall. They were looking at, I believe they're estimating a 69 billion four year shortfall uh, due to COVID and the economic restrictions and no one knew how long it was gonna last. Um, I do wanna add that as of a month ago, which is 15 months after that initial estimate of a $69 billion loss to the state, they are now estimating a $16 billion surplus over the next four years. Never in the history of the budget division have they submitted a budget or done an update to a budget that had surpluses in every year of the financial plan. So, you know, the fiscal ship has really shifted in a totally different direction. It's, it's really an amazing turnaround, but there were a lot of unknowns at the beginning of the pandemic. So what they did at the beginning there, they knew that the healthcare facilities were gonna be under a lot of fiscal stress. So they decided to divert $250 million in local sales tax, 200 million from New York City and 50 million from the, the remaining counties, the 57 counties. Uh, and that money was gonna be used to provide fiscal assistance to distressed health facilities. And it was meant to be a temporary program that would run over two years. Um, a couple things changed quite a bit and whether the need for that diversion is even necessary anymore. First off, the federal government really stepped in at the beginning of the pandemic uh, and authorized to date $185 billion in federal assistance to health facilities feeling fiscal stress under the, during the pandemic. Um, it was a huge lift. Senator Schumer was uh, front and center in getting that money out the door and making sure that the health facilities could stay open. Um, and according to his the press releases from Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand, that most of the revenue losses for our health facilities have been restored under the federal assistance. Uh, and there's still about 40 billion that needs to be distributed out of that pot. Uh, the other issue too here is, which is a big one, it's really a, a fundamental issue. This has been, a, providing fiscal assistance to distressed health facilities has been a, responsibility of the state and federal government for the last 50 years. And all of a sudden at the beginning of the pandemic, they said, well, maybe we need to make local governments start paying part of this bill. Uh, and, and we were, we thought it was um, disingenuous uh, for a couple of reasons, other than you know, they, they eliminated their responsibility and just shifted it to us like they did with the AIM program. But the other thing to consider here too is during that time period also, in that budget for state fiscal year 2021, they cut hundreds of millions of dollars annually, annually in reimbursements to health facilities. Um, at the same time that they made, they wanted to make local governments pay more. I'm just gonna give you a couple examples. 
they discontinued value-based payments um, for health facilities, $43 million cut. They discontinued hospital enhanced safety net program, not $66 million. Discontinued delivery system reform incentive program, $190 million. These are all recurring cuts. And here's a big one. Across the board rate reduction of 1% annually, the dollar amount, $248 million in recurring losses for the health facilities. That number is very close to the 250 million that counties in New York City were asked to pay. I can go on, reducing indigent care pool funding for voluntary hospitals, 88 million. Hospital capital rate on, $17 million loss. Discontinue hospital quality and slow community pools, 35 million. The programs they were eliminated were meant to provide fiscal resources to distressed facilities. They eliminated the state support and they just shifted it to us. So we think this program should end as it's scheduled to in March of 2022. Um, and I'll turn it over to Ryan to talk a little bit. Oh, there's one other issue I wanna to touch on before we go to the next one. And that's another related issue on the Medicaid side and the healthcare side is, um, the state has withheld quite a bit of federal funding to counties uh, related to the Affordable Care Act. This goes back almost a decade uh, where the federal government increased um, the federal participation or support for, for certain populations within the Medicaid program. Uh, for certain populations, the federal government's now paying 90% of the cost um, before they only paid 50%. And that other 50% was split by New York State and its counties in, in New York City. So the enhanced federal match meant that the state and the counties would have savings because they were gonna have to put less money in for the populations we had already covered under our own Medicaid program. The problem we have is in the early years of the program, the state passed through a portion of the savings each year and then whatever they held back, they would reconcile when actual data came in at the close of the year. Fine and dandy, this worked great for the first two years of the program. And then all of a sudden they stopped. They stopped doing the reconciliations. They passed through part of the funding and then they just stopped. So at this point, we're four years behind in these reconciliations. Um, the reconciliations equal about 20% of the estimated federal savings each year. Um, but we're at a point now where we're approaching $2 billion that were owed, the counties and uh, New York City. So we're asking the state to release this funding as soon as possible and as quickly as possible to give us, or to give us a timeline for when it's gonna be released. These are federal dollars that are owed to counties. Um, we've even uh, resorted to sending FOIL requests to the Department of Health to provide us a calculated amount for each county. Uh, you know, Each county has to submit this FOIL request and about half of them have. Um, and they're getting numbers back from the state saying, this is what we think we, you might be owed. So it is hundreds of millions of dollars approaching 2 billion. Um, and this is something that's a big priority for us. It's, it doesn't have a fiscal impact to the state, the state general fund, because these are federal dollars that have been provided to the state that are supposed to be passed through. And we're just asking for them to release this on some schedule so we know when they're gonna come. So Dave, I mean, I think just hearing you here, um, it's for our listeners, big picture, right? The state has 
billions of dollars of surplus resources coming into their coffers above the financial plan. However, they continue to use counties to fund state aid program, distressed health facilities program, even though they made hundreds of million dollars of cuts to that program, and they're withholding federal enhanced Medicaid match. Did I get that right? It sounds yeah. like, okay, so it sounds like for the membership out there who's listening to this podcast, these are the top three financial issues that have been lingering for a few years now, and we need action from the state of New York. We have a brand new governor. We have a lot of money that the state has. Uh, let's clean this up. Let's fix it. Let's come together and actually brainstorm solutions. That's what we're asking here. Um, one other big issue, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about COVID-19, is our joint efforts with the county health officials in trying to divert and get some resources to state uh, from the state to county health departments. And that best vehicle to do that is through uh, making an investment in Article 6. So, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us that the world uh, needs our local health departments. And they are the most important tool to keep our community safe from infectious disease. It also has exposed how chronic underinvestment has left us more vulnerable than, frankly, we need to be. And right now, we're calling on the state of New York to make an investment in Article 6 funding, which directly benefits the county health departments and New York City, so we can be prepared for the next pandemic. We're asking the state of New York to allocate unrestricted, flexible funding to local health departments and restore the New York City Article 6 cuts that were reduced uh, down to 20%. We're asking them to be brought back up to 36%. Same rate as the rest of the state. It's a huge priority of ours. If we want to continue to be able to fight this pandemic, our county health departments need these unrestricted revenues. So I did just want to talk about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Ryan, especially in the situation we're in today dealing with the pandemic. I just want to add to something Ryan talked about and the, the shortfall of funding available to our local public health departments. Over the last decade leading up to the pandemic, the state cut its fiscal support for county health departments by over 40 percent uh, and just expected the counties to pick up the additional costs without really any reduction in services that were provided locally. In fact, they were increased. We were asked to do more with less state support. And they really hit New York City hard as Ryan touched on. They, they got extra cuts on top of the cuts that the rest of the counties got, which was very damaging. So um, it really weakened our ability up front um, to respond to any kind of disaster or public health emergency, let alone a pandemic. So it's important to note some of the history there uh, as well. And it's excellent points made by Ryan. Yeah, you know, Dave, you, you just touched on um, these new additional tasks that county health departments are required to, to undertake, one of which being this new lead standard that our counties are facing. So our counties now have a five-fold, sometimes even higher than that, increase in children who are exposed to hazardous lead levels. The state has reduced that threshold from 10 milligrams per 
liter of blood to five milligrams. In doing so, that's increased the need for services, but to your point, Dave, they've cut the revenues by 40%. So we, we desperately need funding. We've got to get the lead issue under control. We've got to have direct resources to county public health departments to prepare for the next disaster. And we need to be able to uh, have both the equipment and the capital, but also the operating aid so we can actually uh, go out there and do the work that all New Yorkers are depending us, us on. So great, great point there, Dave. Thanks, Ryan. You know, now that we're in the public health realm and talking about public health, I, I wanted to ask Ryan something about, I know something you've been working on really hard on, over the summer on, this past summer with the state legislature, and it's to um, get some reforms under what they call the 730 program under the mental health law in New York. And it's basically related to uh, people accused of a crime that may, may not be competent to stand trial for a variety of different reasons. Can you talk a little bit more about what this means and what what happened in this program? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Dave, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, we, we were fortunate here at NISAC to have two incredible partners in the state legislature, Senator Brook from the Rochester area uh, and assembly member Eileen Gunther from Sullivan County. They're both the chairs of the mental health committees in the assembly and Senate. And they recognized very early on in this process that we need to do something to reform this statute. And Dave is absolutely right. There are hundreds of individuals right now across our state who are sitting in state forensic facilities. They're called 730 facilities. And that references the part of law that uh, these individuals fall into. But these are individuals who have been deemed by licensed psychologists or psychiatrists that they are incompetent to stand trial. They don't have enough mental capacity to stand trial to face the crimes that they've been accused of. They haven't been found guilty yet but they are placed in what's called restoration services. The issue is there are individuals in these facilities, again, who have not been found guilty, who are being held there to be restored for very, very long periods of time. In fact, under current law, they're allowed to stay in these facilities for up to two thirds of the maximum length of stay of the most serious offense should they have been found guilty, even though they're not guilty. So. We, we worked with the Conference of Local Mental Hygiene Directors, the county mental health directors, and said, look, we got to do something for these people. They can't be housed in this facility uh, because they're not getting access to treatment. And this piece of legislation that we've crafted with the senator and assembly member seeks to address that issue. We are now going to be, if this legislation were to pass, we would now be requiring the judiciary to bring these individuals back into the courtroom within 90 days. Let's take a look at whether or not restoration services worked. If they didn't work, then the judiciary will make a decision. Either they can go to an Article 9 state facility, which will provide them with treatment to hopefully get them back on the right track, or they can be sent to community-based treatment providers. And the great thing about that is this legislation uh, would require counties, if they saw any savings from not having an individual placed in a 730 facility, that they would be required to reinvest that in community-based mental health. 
which is something that all the counties across the state want. So it's really a win-win, frankly. It's, it's a win for the individuals who are in 730 restoration right now, but it's a win for the providers who need to increase capacity within the community. And it's a win for the judiciary because we're providing another tool for them, either an Article 9 designation or a community-based treatment option. So really, uh, we think this is a no-brainer. Um, there's a very minimal fiscal attached to the state. But again, the best part about this is we're injecting a new revenue stream into the mental health system, which is desperately needed. So it's a very exciting bill. Um, we're looking to partner with more lawmakers and get this over the finish line. And of course, working with our new governor. So that's, that was a great point, Dave. Thanks for asking about that. Um, and, you know, I think in summary here, from my perspective, we have uh, an incredible opportunity to be working with a brand new administration. And for our members, you should also realize that the entire legislature is up for re-election this year. So we've got a, we got a lot of different factors at play. We have a new infusion of billions of dollars in new revenue. We have a new governor at the helm who wants to move on some of these policy issues. And we have a willing and able partner in the state legislature. We've had excellent meetings with both Senator Stuart Cousins, Leader Stuart Cousins and her team, as well as Speaker Heasty in the assembly. Um, and NISAC, in my opinion, is very well positioned to be able to advocate for county priorities this year. I don't know if you have anything else you wanna add on that, Dave. No, I, I agree with you 100% on everything you said. Um, it is a new opportunity. It's so much different than it was two years ago when we were entering into the budget process. Uh, actually, when we were entering into the budget process two years ago, that would have been this time of year. We had no idea what was coming. Um, and as soon as January, February, March hit, um, it was pretty clear that we were in a different world. Um, and now we're in a different world again. And even though the pandemic hasn't left us, we are in a different position financially uh, in, in in the context of the state budget and even county budgets, uh, we've recovered quite nicely as well, too. It was good that it wasn't as bad as we all thought it might be. Um, but at the same time, we're still struggling with the pandemic and we're, it's not over. It's not done with us, um, even though we want to be done with it. Um, so we're still working through it. Uh, but it is a very different world we're in today um, for this budget and just in response to COVID. Over the, over the years. Yeah, so for, for the membership, if you have any questions about these top priorities, if you want to learn more about our program, it's 20 pages long. We go in-depth on a whole series of different policy areas that you may be interested in. I encourage you to visit our website, nysac.org. You can find the LEDGE program. It's right on the home screen. There's a button. You click Read and you can find out everything there is to know about what counties are advocating for this year. So again, thank you for, for tuning in and uh, back to you, Kate. Yeah, so just on that, Ryan, um, the LEDGE program looks a bit different than it has in years past. Um, you know, historically NYSEC has put together a one page LEDGE program and then a 60, 70 page LEDGE platform. So can you talk a little bit about um, the process and uh, the value of the new and up, 
updated and upgraded, really, uh, legislative program and uh, what use that has for our membership. Yeah, that's a great point, Kate. You're absolutely right. Historically, you know, we had a one or two page document that was very high level, uh, followed up by a 60 or 70 page policy manual. It was very wonky in the in the policy world. Um, in communicating with state lawmakers over the past several years now and our members, not the NISAC ledge team took a lot of feedback in and realized that we wanted to shake up the way that our program looks. So I have to give a shout out to the NISAC communications team because they worked with the ledge team to really develop a much more uh, synchronized and digestible tool for members of the legislature and members of the county community. So what I mean by that is, you know, on the second page, we go through our top five budget and policy asks this year. It's very easy to understand. It's right there. Um, and it's on the first page. Then what we do is we walk through different areas like economic development and agriculture, human services, general government, gaming, public safety, public health. And we have a one pager on each of these issues. And it allows us to go in a little more depth than our traditional ledge program, but not so much so that you get lost. So that was the goal of this, right? To make it really easy for people to understand, okay, here's the issue and what can we be doing to help counties solve the problem? That was the goal of this. And uh, I'm really proud of the work of the team and of the association and of the leadership from our executive director, Stephen Aquario and the NISAC board of directors. Without that guidance, uh, we would not have been able to produce this document. And the nice thing about this is if you're a state lawmaker and let's say you only care about environment issues, you can just pull out the environment page and there you go. Um, hopefully you'll support all of our requests, but certainly we understand you may have a, a particular interest. Um, and same for our county officials. If you are the chair of your Children with Special Needs Committee or, or of your Public Safety Committee and that's your primary focus, this document document makes it really easy to find uh, what you should be advocating for on behalf of your county to the state. So um, it's a very exciting, new, refreshed look at how we uh, advocate for here in Albany. And we're looking to, uh, to be using this tool for um, some successes in this year's budget and session. So great. So thanks, Ryan, uh, for explaining a bit about that. Um, and for our members who look at this document and they're really getting into the policy asks, the budget asks, and um, they're wanting to get involved in the advocacy that NISAC does, uh, what avenues would you recommend that they take? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question, Kate. And, you know, I started this conversation off by saying that the ledge program is a byproduct, is a work product, really, of our standing committees and the resolutions that they advanced during our two conferences, both in the fall and in the winter at the Ledge Conference. If you're a newly elected member or if you're a county official and you're wondering, well, how do I get involved with that? I want to be able to influence NISAC policy. It's very easy to do. And if you, again, if you go to our website, nisac.org forward slash resolutions, 
or if you just hover over the advocacy tab and you click on committees and resolutions, you will find not only a copy of the most recent resolutions packet, but you'll see an entire listing of the different standing committees we have. And there's a form on there, it's called the nomination form, right at the top. You can fill that out, send it into NISAC, and we will get you on a standing committee. I don't know, Dave, if you have anything else you wanna add on, on that front. No, it's, a, it's just a great advocacy tool, uh, especially for new members of the county government. Uh, we do have quite a bit of turnover um, the last couple of years. So if you want to get involved, there's a, there's a way to do it. Uh, and we can get into any details you want in those standing committees. That's where a lot of the nitty gritty is worked out when we develop those, those resolutions. Uh, the other option is just to call us endlessly um, with your thoughts and we will listen. So our yes, numbers are also on the website as well as our email. You can consolidate this episode of the podcast really to check out NYSAC's website for more resources coming in, you know, that are available, looking ahead into 2022, and that will be available in 2022. So NYSAC website, <laughs> NYSAC.org. Um, so that's so great. So um, again, you can find the ledge program there and you can find the standing committee nomination form um, all on the website. So uh, thank you both again for taking the time to give us this look ahead to 2022 and all that it has in store for county advocacy. Um, really appreciate it. And again, uh, for any of our listeners, check out our website and give us a call if you have any questions. Thanks so much, Kate. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. for listening to this episode of NYSAC's County Conversations podcast. Keep tuning in for more county government-focused conversations, and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.